listeners, Shelly here. Translating ADHD is on summer break. New episodes will resume on August 23rd. In the meantime, Cam and I have handpicked some of our favorite episodes to rebroadcast. If you're new to the show, these episodes are a great place to begin. If you're a longtime listener, we hope you'll enjoy revisiting these episodes and the key concepts they contain. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on August 23rd. Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Cam. And this is Translating ADHD. So last week, Cam and I started the conversation around why change is hard and introduced the process that we use with our clients to create real change. We also discussed some barriers to change, some things that make change hard. And that's the conversation that we want to continue today. And we're going to do that with a concept that Cam has been using with his clients. And I just recently was introduced to this, although I've certainly recognize this in my clients and use different language around it, but I love that you have this nice model and concise way of talking about this concept. So Cam, why don't you take it away and tell us what that concept is? Sure, Shelley. I'm happy to. And, you know, often folks, when they come to coaching, they're, they're gung-ho and they're ready to develop new practices and new habits. Um, and often they're not thinking about the habits that are already in place that are not necessarily working for them. And so I think last week we talked a little bit about how awareness is, is a challenge, right? To kind of, to understand, um, a situation to see how the ADD shows up. And so, um, especially in my group coaching classes, what I do is we start with what's not working right, to recognize the behavior that is getting in the way. Uh, there's one in particular, and it's going to be in the program notes, um, and also a link to one of my blog posts on this thing that I call, and I've been calling for several years, the adrenaline response cycle. Um, so again, the, the image will be there. You can, you can check it out there, folks. But if you imagine, it's, it's sort of a, a classic procrastination um, cycle that we will, uh, those of us with ADHD, will delay, right? delay behavior, uh, delay a decision uh, until we really have no other choice, right? that we delay until a point where our choice becomes one. And we have to, it's the 11th hour, and we tend to be 11th hour um, uh, masters, right? Uh, and so have that intense activity, we uh, uh, elicit uh, adrenaline, and we get things done. We are masters of our domain, and we crush it. But then that cannot, uh, we cannot sustain that effort. And often there is a, um, a post post party regret, you know. <laughs> <laughs> There's that intense activity, and then uh, there's a recovery period, right? Or excuse me, there's a crash, and then a recovery. So the cycle goes something like this. Delay, right? A long period of delay, intense activity, crash, recovery. And then it starts over again. Yeah. And I think what's interesting about this, at least in my experience with myself and my clients, is we tend to, as people with ADHD, sort of 
discount the impact of the crash and recovery period and focus on the intense activity period. How many of your clients have said, I work best under pressure? I, when I am in the zone, it's like a superpower, right? And I can do anything, but I need, I almost need that adrenaline, that anxiety to get me there. Right. So there's a couple of things that happen with folks who come to work with us. Um, and, and it's this idea that, okay, here's my superpower and I, and you're going to help me get more of this. Yeah. To the point that some clients almost want you to be a source of that adrenaline anxiety. Can you hold my feet to the fire so right. that I can get more of this? I, I need a good swift kick, you know, like I need someone to, I, I can't, I cannot, um, conjure discipline myself. So I need someone to do that for me. And that is not what coaching is, right? Coaching is a partnership. Um, and really it's about a strength-based coaching, right? To access those strengths. So the first thing is, is, um, yes, hyper-focus is a strength, uh, but it, it is not your only strength. And I think that Many folks who come and there's a they're ready for change is that they've sort of tapped out this superpower, right? That they've tapped out the adrenaline, and um, and that same cycle it's not as effective in their uh, late 30s and 40s and 50s as it was in their early 30s and late 20s, right? Yeah, I can certainly relate to that. I survived my first two years of college pulling many all-nighters. If I had a test, I, I, had, I had an all-nighter the night before cramming, right? And now, if I do that to myself, if I discount sleep that heavily, being 35, I'm no longer 21, I'm wrecked for a week. My body just doesn't allow it. So the returns are very diminishing. It's not worth it. Right. Um, so... So, you know, last week we, 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 we introduced the concept of um, translating ADHD, that it starts with understanding it, owning it, and then leveraging, right, that knowledge um, into some kind of activity. So uh, articulating or you know, turning that into some new behavior. So before you start a new behavior, we want to start to mitigate the behaviors that are not necessarily working for you. We cannot be um, strategic and informed if we have, if we are on this roller coaster and if Absolutely. we're on this uh, arc or adrenaline response cycle, roller coaster kind of um, just uh, locked into that, that um, roller coaster car and, and unable to get off it's very difficult to map a strategic and informed plan going forward. Yeah, and this goes back to the four quadrants or the Eisenhower matrix, which we touched on last time as well, right? When we are relying on urgency and adrenaline as a catalyst for action, what we're not getting to is those quadrant two things, those things that I really want to be, do, have in life that are never going to be urgent. Right. I think the idea is that we can force everything through this urgency uh, filter. And there are certain things that just do not, will not 
uh, go that path because um, they're not necessarily time sensitive, right? And that's the thing. We delay to make things go from quadrant two to quadrant one. It works for a lot of things, um, but not everything, right? If you want to, um, and again, it's a renewal or professional development, um, making things happen that are only important to you. Typically, will are steadfast in quadrant two, and those are the those that's the big issue for my clients. Um, all the they they tend to be um, influencers and leaders and decision makers, but they all have this challenge of getting uh, regular and consistent access to Q two. It's like this polished cube, and there's no door. Right? There's no handhold. There's no discernible uh, features. And how do I how do I get into this? I think that what we want to say, what I want to say today, is that um, adrenaline is this elixir, and I think that we falsely think that we just want more of that, right? Because it gives us this ability to be productive. Um, I will say is that there are other elixirs out there, and this is what I do with my coaching clients is to identify those elixirs, right? It's about diversifying motivators. Here's a motivator that helps us get things done. And it makes sense that, you know, okay, this is how I get things done, right? I wait until it becomes critical and crucial and urgent, and then I'm productive. Therefore, why wouldn't I want to have more of that? Um, you said it earlier about what we tend to do is downplay the toll, right? Uh, the crash and recovery part, we can suffer through that. Our people around us suffer, right? It's sort of the, it's kind of the, uh, the disappearing. As, uh, you'll see this with coworkers where they will just go into hibernation or disappear for three days and you know where's bob you know where, yeah. where, bob you know bob is like he's he's offline uh well he's offline for a reason because he really overextended himself and i think that you know taking our model around understanding and owning is understanding and owning how the arc or adrenaline response cycle how much how prevalent is that in your functioning um and to start to develop some awareness of that, right? Free of judgment, free of, of harsh evaluation, but to really look at the impact of, of how that plays out. Um, what, what is the toll of riding that roller coaster day in and day out? Yeah, and this is the part that we often don't see, right? We look back with rose-colored glasses because maybe we were successful in the end and yeah. it all worked out. Right? Absolutely. So it's easy to discount that recovery period. But when you really start to examine that recovery period, the crash recovery, it's kind of incredible how impactful it is. Um, I was telling Cam before we started recording today that the job I was most successful at before I became self-employed was one that relied almost entirely on adrenaline. And at the time, I thought it was just the perfect job for me, right? It, it was a job where I was performing several roles, one of which was being the executive assistant to the president, vice president, and comptroller of a small company. 
And I was also the liaison for all of our outside sales reps, the ones that weren't in our building, but that were in their own territories. And that was about 20 people. So I had 23 to 25 bosses that all might want something at any given time. And of course, (laughs) when you want something from someone else, it always feels urgent to you, right? Right. It was this constant juggling act of which fires am I going to put out for who today? And I was good at it. And I was commended for how good I was at it. But I can't tell you how many times I closed my office door and just cried, had a complete meltdown, how many times I would come home and just tell my husband, I don't have anything for you today. Leave me the hell alone. I just don't have it. And actually, the breaking point with that job was my husband saying, I can't deal with you coming home like this anymore. I would rather not have your income at all than deal with this anymore. You need to quit. He almost gave me an ultimatum, right? You need to quit. And even then, I don't think I fully realized the impact it was having. I realize it now, right? I have all this benefit of experience and coaching other clients and sort of being able to see my experience through their experiences. But even back then, I don't think I fully realized just how detrimental that job was to me. I hated going in too. Every day I would wake up and I'd dread it. And then I'd get in and the adrenaline would kick in and I'd fly my way through the day. And then I'd come home tapped out, just tapped out. I had nothing for my personal life. The, um, you're speaking of another superpower that, that again, I think that the, the ability to withstand um, and tolerate a, a challenge and hardship is is a uh, it's a positive thing, but then right then you then but there's a big but there is that you're you're vulnerable to uh, staying in t- in a situation that's untenable too long, right? Like a, a toxic work environment, uh, no overbearing micromanaging boss, right? It's like maybe tomorrow will be different. Right? That ab- that ability to withstand. Um, challenge and pressure and, um, you know, difficult situations. It can be positive, but also it can, it also can get us, um, have us not make the change that really needs to happen. Absolutely. I think by the very nature of being people with ADHD, we develop that strength, that ability to withstand. But we abuse the shit out of it. It's like an abusive relationship with our strength, right? We, we just yeah. stretch it out to the nth degree. And what good does that do us? Yeah. I, I think there, there, there is good because there's always good, right? In the sense of that ability to handle that situation. I think that, um, you know, that getting up every day and going in and dealing with the issues head on, but it's putting those eggs into one basket, which is the detrimental piece, right? It's the continuous firefighting. I appreciate you bringing that up as fighting fires. And I think that we see ourselves as, you know, again, we're really good. We can be very good in a crisis because we can just go and and battle the, the latest and loudest, right? The most pressing, the most urgent. And, Here's another interesting thing is that 
it is a not so effective coping mechanism, right? We all want to get things done and we're going to do it uh, any way we can. It's not necessarily creative. And so firefighting is a way to really not do any kind of uh, effective prioritizing, right? We're letting the priorities come to us and prioritizing is really tough for the individual with ADHD. It's, it's extremely challenging to take something and basically create time depthness around it, right? Everything for us seems like a two-dimensional mural, the sense of it, how pressing it is. I can't tell you how many times I've heard clients talk about how when they look at their list of things, it's very difficult for them to delineate or really separate out the significance and the actual time sequence. Right? Yeah. It makes, makes sense that if we are, have uh, challenges around uh, time depthness or as Barclay says, time blindness, then how are we supposed to create time sequence? So what the heck? Instead, we'll just let it come. But then, you know, there's the other, the, the analogy I've used in the past is sort of like putting your lips around a grain chute <laughs> <You know>, or, <laughs> or, or a fire hose, right? You can do it for a bit, but you just cannot consume all that grain. Absolutely and it just not. keeps coming and coming. Um, and we just, so there is that toll. And often it is, you know, I would say in that situation, it's your willingness to listen to your husband in that moment. Like, oh, okay, he's saying something. He's sharing an observation that uh, maybe I need to consider. Sure. Sort of recognizing just how often I was coming home completely in the crash state. And not just that, because this was a full-time, five-day-a-week job, how little time I really even had for recovery. It's kind of like come home every day, crash, start over, crash, start over, crash, and then weekend is just recovery. Oh, I just need to recover so that I can cope again next week. That, that sounds a lot like my... Uh, one of my jobs or early jobs in teaching was at a school where uh, it was very much self-directed. Um, I worked in a school, the first school I worked in, there were very specific parameters and, and this is the teachers really liked this. They, it was like, this is my role. Here's my, here, here's my role. Here's my expectations. And they would leave at four thirty. They would go home at four thirty. Um, the second school I worked in was much more uh, free-flowing, um, that everyone pitched in. There were not enough. Uh, we were always understaffed. And the expectation was you just did your part. And for me, I, that was very difficult because I wasn't clear on how much was enough. So. Given that, plus, I was not a great manager. I realized that the best teachers at this school were the best managers, right? Managing paperwork, managing time, managing expectations. 
it's almost like they had this sort of internal mechanism for creating structures. And I could not create structure to save my life. Um, and so then it was, again, falling into this adrenaline response cycle of just get a lesson plan, grade a paper, you know, um, at the end of the term, I would have a stack of papers. My kids would be like, do you have my, I remember just one girl, she'd always look so disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) You have my test, you know, from three weeks ago, Cam? Uh, No, but I'm going to get to it, right? And again, that pain point was less than not showing up with a lesson plan, right? It was really a process of elimination of what did I absolutely have to do? And that consistently doing that. I did the same thing. I came home. My wife was in a very difficult, you know, she was in a, um, she was going to school full-time for her nurse practitioner degree and working full-time. And we'd both come home and we're both depleted. Um, but I was, I would stay at this, you know, I'd come home and I'd be doing work at night because I was still behind, get the minimum. And there was no kind of break. I never had a sense of a break. And yes, I would fall into the weekend and it would be a complete recovery period, right? And then get up and soldier on um, come Monday, right? And I, that, I did that for six years. So, yeah. you know, in that midst, I was still learning to teach and teach pretty well. Um, but but it came at a great cost. Yeah, and I kind of want to break that down because I think a couple of really key things came up for me in that story. Number one was the idea that the people who were the best at that job were the people that sort of naturally could create structure. Right. And could also sort of naturally know what's enough in a job where enough is not necessarily defined. Whereas you, so many of our clients and myself, when we're in a situation like that, where we need structure, but we don't know how to get it and we need to get stuff done, but we don't know how to prioritize it. It's like this arc, the adrenaline response cycle becomes the default. We don't know what else to do. We don't know how else to deal So we default to arc and then arc sort of becomes the hamster wheel. Like once we get on it, once we're, once we're on arc and that is the primary way that we are coping, we can't get off the wheel. And you can also, you can't access resources because once you're behind you, it's very difficult to go and ask for help, right? If you, if I owe something to somebody, I'm not, I'm not going to ask them for help. I'm not going to ask them for support. I'm thinking about what I owe them, right? Uh, a report, um, you know, a- anything. Um, and so it, it, it gets into this uh, a wicked um, conundrum, right? Where you're on that hamster wheel and you can't get off because in your mind, you can't ask for any resources, and that's my big learning is going from teaching. I went from teaching to starting my own business. Well, talk about a place where there's no structure, right? Everything, everything 
is created, right? As a solopreneur, everything is, is self-generated, right? There's, I have no boss. I had no boss telling me what to do. I had infinite paths forward. And there's, there's a whole nother story for another time, right? About, again, tripping and falling and struggling with my new business as a coach. Um, but here, I think that, again, looking at how do you get away from that um, practice of kind of arc being the default? Yeah. And that starts with what? Awareness. Being able to notice when you're in arc. Being able to reflect on the entire cycle instead of the rose-colored glasses where, okay, intense activity, I got it done, I powered through, but let's look at the whole cycle. Let's really look at the crash and recovery. Right. I think, and I think just there's the, the focus on the intense activity and there's often a focus on the procrastination. Yeah. Right? Yeah. All it's of like, our clients want us to solve procrastination, right? If I could just get started sooner, but that's where they hope that we can hold their feet to the fire. Right. Or my problem is with procrastination, right? Right. There's the, they think that that is um, the cost of being an arc when in fact it is part of the cost, but the other cost is the, is the wild rides of ups and the way down, right? To start to consider what is the actual toll, right? You were, you were sharing with me what the actual toll was with respect to that job, right? What else was the toll, Shelly, with that job coming home and being depleted? How else was it a challenge? My mental health was not great. When I am depleted in that way, I tend to retreat. I tend to ignore my social relationships. And listeners, you don't know me well yet, but Cam, you do. And you know I'm a very social creature, right? Being with people, even though I'm an introvert, so I do need recovery from that. But being with people is important to me. And when I retreat and cut myself off from people, my mental health suffers. I go into depression. And that itself becomes its own self-fulfilling cycle because now I'm cut off and I'm not communicating. And I don't know how to reinitiate that either because I'm just on this hamster wheel. I'm in survival, right? right? So it's just, it just compounds in all of these terrible ways. And even so, worse, when we're living in adrenaline, you, you mentioned other elixirs, and we may not have time to dive into other elixirs today, but certainly we can continue this conversation. When you're stuck in adrenaline all the time and your only states of being are delay, adrenaline, crash, recovery, you don't have access to those other elixirs because they're not available when you're in adrenaline. And they're certainly right. not available when you're so depleted that you can't access awareness, you can't access curiosity, reflection, distinction. So you, what you just said, can I, can I just like go off on something for a moment? Yes, please. I'm just gonna go off. Can I, can I tell you what like just drives me absolutely crazy? I love it when you tell me what drives you crazy. <laughs> <I know. laughs> 
<laughs> drives me crazy in ADD coming. world. I'm just like, I'm ready to just go, just go on a rant. I'm this cam rant. This is, this is the cam rant section of the podcast. Um, your beautiful articulation of your experience highlights the complexity of living with ADHD, right? Is that it's not cut and dry. It's not black and white. It's not just this sort of distractibility, impulsivity, you know, failure to activate because we think that, oh, it's so simple. There should be a simple solution, right? Well, the Nike solution, right? Just do X, just do Y. And so right there is that you're, that was translating ADHD because you were conveying the experience and how it impacts you, right? Is that there's sort of, uh, there are dips and then at the bottom of the dip, there's a drain hole that we drop down into a deeper subcavern with all these subcaverns of like depression and emotion and all this complexity that you get into this labyrinth that is dark, right? This cavern that's in you, you dropped your Bic lighter, you know, and you can't find your way out, right? That, and so, uh, it's not simple people. And it's, it's not just this, Oh, I just need to, I just need to start doing, um, now with that complexity, complexity though, it doesn't mean things are hopeless. I'm not here to say, well, you know, here's the shit and it's, it's tough all over and live with it. It's understanding, you know, if you start to kind of start to bring a couple big lighters with you into that cave and, you know, light them, click them, get some torches going. I'm thinking about my kids in Minecraft, by the way, (laughs) (laughs) it's like, but to kind of look at the, at the, the, architecture or structure of these uh, intricate caverns and passages of how you get down into these low places, right? You can turn around and find ways out. Um, You know, you talked about how ADD is an extremely isolating um, disorder, right? The stigma, the shame, and we tend to retreat, avoid, turn in on ourselves, right? Suffer silently. And this is not something uh, that we need to do alone. And part of this podcast is being able to kind of reach out and access resources. When you start to share, the, the enormity and complexity of the problem starts to diminish. And we can start to, you know, send out smoke signals or uh, a flare or, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble here. I need some help, right? Just to articulate that experience. When we have someone else, understand that and not try to just, you know, okay, give us a, a you know, something here, here. Have you tried this? Right? If you live with someone with ADD, just listening and appreciating can be extremely, extremely powerful. There, I'm, I'm done with my rant, Shelly. Thank you. I loved your rant. So, and yes, that is part of why we're so passionate about translating ADHD because there's a discourse there, right? There is 
something for the person with ADHD about being able to articulate your experience in the way that I just did. Because when we can't do that, we can't understand our experience. If we can't even articulate it, we certainly can't understand it, right? And that's where we get caught in that, we talked about that vast middle ground between cause and effect and how so many people with ADHD don't realize how important and vital getting through that vast middle ground and exploring it and understanding it is to change, right? They see cause, I have ADHD, effect, things aren't happening that I want to happen, or I'm missing deadlines, or I'm having these negative consequences, and they look for what can I do to change? How can I have somebody hold my feet to the fire? How can I try everything, which we talked last time, right? What can I do right now? But if we're not really exploring those caverns and figuring out what's really happening, we're never going to get that change we want. And that's why I I warn all of my clients when they start coaching with me that change takes time, right? Change, and I can't tell you how much time because it depends on the client. It depends on the severity of your ADHD. It depends on where you are currently, right? How successful are you being? What do you want? What is the gap between where you are now and what you want, right? There are so many individual factors. But I tell every single client that hires me, don't commit to coaching unless you're going to commit to it for change over the long haul. Right. And uh, the also the re rephrasing or kind of um, redefining what time is because what you just said is that coaching takes time. And I think that what I will add to that is that time need not be the enemy, right? That time is actually one of these um, resources that if we start to get curious about time, that it, it's not just this one dimensional thing that runs out, right? It's always running. We're always running out of time. We're always chasing time. We're always behind time. That one way to get free of the arc um, experience, right? the roller coaster around uh, procrastinating to that intense activity, the adrenaline response cycle is to start to see time, have a different relationship with time right? That time is actually something more than, uh, again, something that, that we're not good at, which is, which is completely understandable um, given our experiences. Absolutely. And I have so much that I could add to what you just said around time and redefining our relationship with time, because that's a big part of what you and I do is help our clients redefine their relationship with time. But I think for today, that might be a good point for us to pause because that could almost be a continuation of this conversation. Absolutely. I think, right? um, so how, yes. do I, how do I change the adrenaline response cycle? So for today's purposes, the starting place is awareness. To just be aware that hyper-focus can be a superpower, but it's not always. And when ARC is the primary mode in which you are operating, when you are always relying on adrenaline, on anxiety to kick in and sort of force your hand, 
there are consequences. So if this sounds like you, this is something to be really curious about. I want to add one more thing is that we're not trying to take hyperfocus away from you, listener. It's about adding to, right? That if you have something else other than hyperfocus, right? We're not going to go ahead and often, sometimes folks will say, hey, oh, you're just going to, you're going to try to take my, you know, my go-to, my secret weapon away <laughs> from me. No, we're not doing that. We're not taking away hyperfocus, not taking away that ability. What we're doing is we're diversifying. We're adding to that so you have it, but you also have some other mechanisms for getting things done, being productive. And interestingly enough, when you add to in that way, at least this has been my experience as a person with ADHD, I find that my hyperfocus is both healthier and more productive. When I do access that zone, it's a really positive thing without all of this negative crash recovery because I'm not accessing it from adrenaline. I'm accessing it from somewhere else. And I'm able to do that because I'm not relying only on adrenaline as a catalyst to action. Nice. All right. Well, once again, um, we're glad you guys tuned in. Uh, we welcome any and all feedback you have, any topics that you would like to hear. All of our contact information is on the website at translatingadhd.com. I'm Shelly. And I'm Cam. And this was Translating ADHD. Thanks for listening.